Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing. I'm Sinead Kassan. Well, that is the opening two-week block of the Women's Six Nations done with. And it doesn't make for pretty reading for Ireland. Um, after a record margin defeat to France at Musgrave Park, 53 points to three. Ireland are bottom of the table on points difference with zero points. So they've got a week off. And then they're away to Italy, home to England, and they finish away to Scotland. Now joining me to look back on the weekend's game is former Ireland player Anna Capeless and Ali Donnelly of ScrumQueens.com. Anna, you're joining us from Madrid and Ali, you're in Egypt. Yeah, I think I'm the first person to do any sort of women's rugby analysis ever from Egypt. So this is is an exclusive... (laughs) Oh, but Sinead, you were in Cork, which is the nicest of all. So I, I was in Cork at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And it, do you know what? It was um it was a cracking atmosphere down in Musgrave Park and uh lovely weather, it was a swirling breeze. But anyway, let's get into the game and look, I suppose before the game we knew this result was always going to go France's way and I saw some former players, and I think it may have been you as well, saying that maybe denying France a bonus point would have been a successful outcome uh, for this Ireland team and where they're at. But look, France had the bonus point wrapped up by halftime, nine tries in total. France played with just 14 players for an hour, but it just got hammered home again on Saturday and at the massive gulf that is there between Ireland and the top teams. Yeah, and, you know, Saturday again confirmed it for us and... You're right, like we knew a win was a win was maybe never on the cards, but like even I, I, I loved that the atmosphere seemed brilliant. There were loads of small wins. We have to just take those, like kind of almost just put the result in the bin. Denying them a bonus point, I actually, I actually felt like that could have been possible. Like I watched, I was watching it back um, again last night, and like twenty minutes in, especially with like. Bourdon having missed a couple of kicks, the red card for France and Ireland's fight, like literally coming out of the blocks, fighting, fighting. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really positive. And knowing what the final score was while still watching it 20 minutes in and seeing how good like um, Ireland were able to hold on to the ball and put phases together, maybe not make so many metres, but still show a lot more positivity than last week in a lot of aspects. Um I couldn't believe that the scoreline had finished the way it had, like when I was when I was watching it back. Um 
this is the dogfight that they're in. This is it. Like, you know, there's no shying away from it. Any error is going to be punished, especially by a team like France. My God, like they're, they were brilliant. You know, let's last, let's, you, it wasn't only down to like Ireland where, where they're lacking and, and all the rest. France were brilliant and like they were able to score so quickly. That's why it was so, you know, the, the, the golf again was highlighted so much in the, the scoreline because France were just able to punish Ireland like so quickly. Ali, what was your overall impression? Yeah, I think that's the word, the gulf. I think it, it really was highlighted by the kind of result in the end. And you could see clearly where we are in terms of our development versus a team, you know, with vastly more experience in terms of caps and, and test matches and so on, and, and just the better infrastructure they have. I, I think for me, the only questions I was left with is one, unfortunately, how much worse might this have been if we'd been playing against 15 players for the whole match? And, you know, just how many years are ahead of us shipping scores like this to teams like France? Because I think we will improve and I'm sure we'll come on to the fact that there were some you know, good performances. We're going to get better, but so are they. And the way in which I think we've been progressing very slowly, particularly, I'd say, you know, as far back as, say, 2017, it's felt very stop-start or progression. It hasn't felt that strategic. So I think that's why I kind of came away less upbeat about the potential and more sort of nervous about the pace of our ability to, to move on and build this young team as quickly as we can. I, I also think, I don't know how you felt, uh, both of you, but it was very hard to analyse the game afterwards. It's very difficult because the Six Nations and the Women's Test Rugby, it isn't a level playing field yet. It's getting there. But, you know, we are, Ireland are quite far behind on that kind of route and that journey towards professionalism and the benefits that brings. And you can see it kind of playing out very painfully. And I think that makes it really hard to assess because... On the one hand, a record loss to France. On the other, better than we played against Wales. <laughs> so how, how do you get that balance right without, you know, p- pointing out kind of player errors and so on? I, I think that's hard and that's kind of what you're left to decide. Yeah, there was definitely almost like a double think there because there were improvements from the game in Cardiff last week. But then France were just so, you know, so goddamn good. I mean, you look look at some of the stats, you know, it was close to half and half in possession of territory. Ireland had three line breaks to France's 11, four offloads to France's 20. And we will get to the positive of the scrum later. But Ireland missed 43 tackles to France's 14. Um, And systemically as well, the French just cut through that Ireland defence, you know, straight up to the middle, around the outside, whatever way they wanted. Was that the biggest concern for you from the Ireland performance? Yeah, and I thought it was quite bizarre in that Ireland had obviously addressed this and they knew that France were going to attack them up front. So they had a very narrow defence. Like often you'd look, you know, kind of on the wide angle of of where the defensive line was and almost all the players were inside the first post and they're so narrow. So they obviously were like, okay, we're going to bunch up here to make sure they're not getting through this wall. And I was kind of thinking like, goodness, why don't France just kind of attack out the back and try and get out wide? But they didn't. They did what they were obviously wanting to do, which was crash into this wall. And they did it so well. And Ireland, even though they were so narrow and bunched up, I think it almost fed into almost like an ambiguity around whose tackle it was and whose responsibility it was to take that tackle. I think that... That's how what I felt was happening because when I could see how narrow they were, I was like, right, they're they're obviously bunching up to try and control the kind of first up crash and then see what comes next. But they they still didn't do that, and like we know that they've got good tacklers in there, like very kind of 
uncharacteristic, I suppose, like um, errors from from some players in defence. But also, again, France just, they wanted that. France were really enjoying that as well. Like those crashes into Jeepers. Sometimes there'd be three players on the floor um, after... And and the the French player would still be running on, you know, like so. That's definitely something that um, kind of let them down. And they'd like the, the stats on the the missed tackles is it was bizarre as well. I thought it's just a, a huge number of missed tackles, which it, it shouldn't be. That's your that's your bread and butter, you know. They, I thought they also made. I mean, I, I talk about defense all day as my favorite part of rugby, but I also thought they made really poor defensive decisions. So not just to, you know the system Anne has talked about, but I heard Greg McWilliams talking after the game and he said something I completely agreed with. He said, if you try and improve in one area, you end up, if you try and improve every area, sorry, you end up improving nowhere. And he's right. You know, and you could see a bit of that creeping in. They'd obviously worked on their scrum and their mold and their, their kind of mold defense off the line because those things were good. But everything else just seemed a bit uh, kind of disorganized. And we talked about the defense after Wales, some really sloppy defensive decisions. And for me, if, if you're a team, an inexperienced team, you know you're going to lose some games you at least have to make yourself very hard to beat. Make teams feel like they've been in a game, like Scotland did against Wales, like I think Italy did against France last week. And just to indulge me for a second, if you if you watch the first half an hour of the game where you, arguably your defence should be at its best, right? You're, you're all fresh, you're really up for it. We talked, we heard Ireland say they were up for it, etc. You could see it in the way they played. Some of the defensive mistakes that were made were very poor for this level, you know. So one, we saw Pauline Bourdon's try where back three defensive positioning, very naive. But there were a couple of others. There's one where Forlani, the first try of the match, you know, when you're defending your try line in this day and age, you know you're going to get the ball back if you can hold the ball up. A rule I hate, by the way, but that's a, that's a podcast for another day. Instead, Ireland, she's, the, she's probably the tallest player on the pitch, tried to wrap her up around her waist. She just leaned over the top of the player to score the try. And a really poor tactical decision. Another try, no pillar, no guard, whatever you want to call it, on the edge of the rock. This is basic stuff. And so I don't quite understand um, you know, what's happening to our defence and why we can't be organised. Because systems is one thing, and systems can fail if someone makes mistakes. But these are really individual mistakes that you know any adult team in the land We'll be practicing pillars, posts. We'll be practicing where to stand for kicks and so on and so forth. So, if just back to Greg, if if I if I was Ireland, I would almost be primarily focused on sorting our defence out. Do nothing else if you only have time to do one thing. By his reckoning, because Italy are going to be Italy. You know, us beating Italy, that's going to be very difficult away from home. So make us hard to beat. And we've got England coming up on the horizon. Make us really hard to beat. Let's get all these things sorted. Don't get beaten. At the you know round the edge of the rock that that's just not acceptable I think at any level and I I don't understand why that's happening. But surely a part of the reason it's happening is because when you look at the back line and how inexperienced it is. Sure, but some of those mistakes were made by experienced forward you yeah. know packs. So I, I think it's just there there's something going on. You know when you when you think about defence. So I used to work at Wasps and Sean Edwards, the great defensive guru, used to work there. And he had the big banner up in the dressing room: defence wins titles and so on. You also, you often sometimes say the heart of a team can be seen in its defense, but also like the organization. It, I don't know, Anna, if you agree with me, but organizing defensive systems, actually one of the most straightforward parts of coaching rugby, right? Because it's very organized. You know, you're in a position, you have certain things you can do at certain times. That's why I was a better defender than an attacker when I played, because I had far less skill to do the instinctive things, but I could listen to a system and understand and work it out. So I, I don't know if it's down to backline naive. You see, some, some of the tries were. Others just disorganised. Same thing happened last week against Wales. Kira Bevan's try around the post. Just disorganisation. And that is very fixable. 
Yeah, and I I completely agree, Ali. And like the the confidence in your defensive line comes from communication, and the the communication is easy to do when you're very clear about what everyone's role is. So when I come into a defensive line, I'm able to identify myself as, you know, pillar A, B, whatever they call it, whatever language they're using. And then there's no doubt about where I'm standing, who my player is. And then if you communicate that well, it brings a confidence and an energy into your defensive line. But when you're only getting to know the players around you and getting to know a new system, the communication comes slightly slower maybe feeding into that I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking I'm guessing I yeah. know from my experience from playing when the communication has been lacking and when like there's been like um, not a huge comprehension of the roles and defense and how you fill them and where you fill from and when when to do it the the actual defense itself falls apart like it has to start from inside communicating outwards information coming in from outside how to use that inside and then once everything's everyone has identified identified themselves in the defensive line you come up together and you're able to like put your put your hit in that you identified yourself and if that's not happening then the, the rest i feel like that's where the problem a lot of the problem may be coming from so so what do you think the reasons are behind that and that it wasn't to the level that it should have been in test rugby I wonder if they spent the week, I mean, they clearly spent a lot of time working on their scrum. They struggled there against Wales, did much better this time around. They worked on their line-out defence, you could see that. Um, so I just wonder if it's, you know, they tried to fix everything, as he, as he pointed out, and they focused on a lot of things or they focused on specific things and weren't able to get it. I mean, the other thing to say is France are a great team and there's no shame in losing to France. We've only ever beaten them twice, I think, in our entire history. Uh, they're going to beat most teams that they play, right? This is a team, as we said last week, that were in a kick of getting to the World Cup final. I thought they were fairly unfairly scrutinised after the, the win against Italy. You know, I thought they were good, but not brilliant. But people, I read some of the reports that people thought they were really poor. I think that that's unfair on Italy, who just, you know, apart from the blowout England had against them, generally make, make it hard for teams to beat them. So, you know, shame in losing to France, but I think... Ireland just got to get the nuts and bolts right now for these, you know, we've got, the, the good thing is for Ireland, there's something to play for. We didn't touch on this last week, but avoiding bottom in this Six Nations, very important to get into the WXV tier, you know, not to get stuck in that bottom tier for two or three years. I, I think it's, you're locked in for a couple of years into that and you won't be playing against teams that are going to really make you um, better and, and, and good enough for the Six Nations. So there's something to play for. We've got two games that they would have targeted, Italy, Scotland. I think we can kind of forget about the England game. And, um, you know, for that perspective, getting the nuts and bolts right, as Anna said at the start, building on the things that went well, um, you know, we shouldn't be too too despairing. Yeah. OK, well, definitely one of the improvements was the scrum. Um, you know, the right call definitely was made. Christy Haney coming in there, Linda and Jungang moving across to Loosehead, um, especially the scrum they won actually two minutes into the second half. And the scrum coach, Dennis Fogarty, was just on the, the sideline and he was just cajoling them on. But Anna, this was definitely an improvement on last week. Yeah. And, you know, Let's take it. Let's take that. And let's now, not from that, regress. But I think after getting that feeling of winning a scrum penalty and a few areas where, like, you know, you know, Dennis Forty should be, you know, happy with them after that, but not let anything now fall away. That's our standards. They'll never drop below that again. They'll certainly be battle-hardened in every aspect of the pitch, but definitely in the scrum. And they can 
bring that forward like as a threat let's use this as one of our strengths now and and I thought yeah I thought Christy Haney did really well you know coming in to start this week like fair play to her and then I thought that Sive coming in made a real impact the way you kind of usually expect these things to go like user experience and then the younger less experienced coming in will will you know explode into the game if she can which Sive did so um yeah keep the bar there now how do they like they don't they've got so many other things to work on they have to make sure that their standards are set now there's uh obviously still still room to grow you know it's not it's not perfect but i thought i just thought like the ball being available so cleanly was a real really nice thing for for ireland's platform to 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 launch from then so they need to just keep that standard there now and um keep building i actually i'm i'm so tired of using the word building because I feel like we've been building for years now and we, we, we don't even have a shed out the back to to, to show for it yet. <laughs> but but it's coming. We'll get yeah. we might get a we might get something soon. Well it's it's just yeah, it's one of those cliches that we've had to use a lot. I know. Uh, what about the performance of Dan O'Brien, Ali? Um there were some shaky moments and look, that is to be expected from a you know, nineteen year old rookie, her first Six Nations start. She had the clearance uh kick uh blocked down by Pauline Bourdon and there was another blocked down in the second half, but it didn't have the same con- consequence. But overall, a really promising performance. I mean, that left boot of hers is an absolute whopper. Um her passing as well. It really reminds me of um the under twenties out half, uh Sam Prendergast. She's just got this languid passing style harsh moments you know as expected but she kept the head and it will definitely stand to her yeah I'm a big fan I think she has all the kind of potential to be a brilliant 10 in a test match rugby and my only concern for her is these are tough lessons that she's learning at a very young age and making sure I guess that there's an arm around her to kind of you know, that she can see the bigger picture, right? That, yeah, we're going to lose some tough games here. And as a 10, you're very much in the spotlight and mistakes can be and feel glaring. At 19 versus, you know, 28, 29, when you've got a decade behind you in, at that level, it's very different. You remember we were 19. I'm not sure I um, I certainly wasn't good enough to play test match rugby, but I, I think your level of maturity, they need to make sure that she's okay. But I think she's got phenomenal potential. And, you know, 10 is a position apart from maybe Nora Stapleton's era, where we have struggled, Ireland, to really have somebody from a very young age for the long run. Sarah Jane Belton, people remember her. She was probably, you know, one of the first talents like Dana. And so I think, yeah, she she's the long-term future. Look after her and, and keep her going, yeah. What do you make of her performance, Anna? Yeah, I completely agree with Ali. And I think that it, what you're saying about looking after the young players is absolutely paramount because... This has to be like we have to if you, we're going to cap these young players now, we need them around in five, six, seven years like they, sh- you know, they'll be reaching their peak in that time. So hand around them. You're absolutely right. And um, make sure they're they're feeding back and that they feel like they can say things and um that they're you know, it's not just like, yeah, sure, head down and not really able to share like how you feel or that they're, you know talking openly about it and that hasn't always been the way you know it's kind of just like uh you're in head down work hard you know like but we need these players like we've got so many young players now and so many fresh faces and young like two three up to ten cap players like we need those players hitting 50 caps and we don't we can't have those players being you know okay I've had enough now because it's been too hard so they go and 
they go traveling and they never come back or you know they just uh, decide that they they don't want to anymore or they're you know dropped for new talent that's coming in because they're they've kind of hit ups and downs in their career and they're they might be off form down the line and they're kind of forgotten about or whatever we can't have that happen like we need we need our Sarah Hunters and our Marley Packers and like those girls and how valuable they are for you know the, the experience and we talk about the how much experience we've lost in Ireland like these are the girls that we need around I want these players to play in a full Aviva stadium someday that's what I want for these players for these young players and they need to be happy they need to be looked after they need to be tough yes but like they need to be um growing in confidence maturity and like bringing all that in like these lessons today you're absolutely right she'll never forget that kick that was blocked down versus board on, on on Saturday she'll never forget that so let's use those lessons in her and like look after her like Ali you hit the nail on the head I completely agree yeah what about that culture and I know you touched on it in your column last week um I'm not sure if you saw Nicola Friday's interview to Virgin Media TV after the game but she struggled to hold back the tears it was really tough watch and we were, we spoke to her afterwards and after seeing that interview, I just asked her if they're working with a performance coach like Gary Keegan, you know, the men's players talk so highly of Gary Keegan and the effect he's had on them. Now, she said they don't. Um, now, the RFU have brought in a head of psychology. Nicola didn't mention her at the time. And Greg McWilliams also mentioned a few times about the players' low confidence. So a young team, you know, an inexperienced backline in particular, like, how will these two hammerings affect them mentally and what is the culture you would like to see within that Irish team be like so that they they still stay on and they, they do reach their potential and that they are happy in camp? I mean, usually what you should have, you know, for, a, for those young players coming in is a, a, a kind of a, a splash of young faces surrounded by experience to bring them on but what we have is the splash of experience surrounded by the younger players so it's hard for Nicola like there's so many depending on her and she has to bring all the feelings that they need you know the positivity but the tough love and like I can imagine the pressure and I could feel it I was I was crying myself watching her like I couldn't I haven't seen her kind of in that position before, like, you know, on, on, on the verge of tears. And I was so proud of her, like standing there and talking about where they're at. And she said how proud she was of the girls. So like, if, if that's how she was feeling, then what they worked on that week, they delivered on according to her, you know, and she said, yeah, there were mistakes, but obviously there was going to be, but she was so proud of the girls and the fight. Like that's obviously what they spoke about. It's what they wanted. And and they delivered on that. So I trust her that that's what she's happy with that. And she knows like she was obviously just so upset. Like she, you know, looking at the scoreline, it obviously didn't feel that way from how hard they fought. Um, and I would love to see, <sighs> Yeah, I, I'd love to have her responded to you there now and be like, yes, we're getting all that support we need. But I, I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect that. Not from, you know, in, in, in my experience, I never spoke to anyone like that, that I didn't go searching for myself. You know, I had so to. You, you wouldn't have had a, a sports psychologist. You, you never no. spoke to a sports psychologist in the Irish women's setup before. No. 
I mean, they they need it, Ali, now. Like, this team needs that kind of mental health, you know, or help. Because, you know, Nicholas said afterwards, it's kind of, you know, up to themselves now to go to the dark places and dig themselves out of there. This is exactly when they need that kind of help. But this is indicative of where women's rugby is. You know, Scotland, who lost, what, 10, 11 games on the bounce now and lost to them by a score, they've only just... Uh, you know, got some support in in that regard. And they've been asking for that for a long time because they have a belief. You know, talk to Rachel Malcolm, who I think is genuinely one of the most articulate, eloquent captains in the game. She she talks about there there is a reason that you lose games in the last plays or, you know, there's something going on mentally. So they're only just getting that support. That's where the game is, right? So I don't know how long Ireland were professional men's team before Agari Keegan or someone like that came in. But Ireland women went professional last year, sort of. Uh, so that, that's where we're at. I mean, I found Nicola's interview really hard to watch. I felt really sorry for her. I think, you know, you could see the pressure on her. Um, you know, she's our national captain and you just wanted to put your arm around her and say, everyone knows that there's no more you could be doing and neither could any of the players. It's, it's not a situation where you're watching a team not try. So I, I, th- I felt really sorry for her. I suppose it probably wasn't lost on her that she was being interviewed by a player who's previously won things um, at, at international level with Ireland. And that maybe, you know, made it feel a bit worse for her, you know, to be to be looking at that person doing the interview. But yeah, it, they do need some support, especially as Anna says, because there's so much youth in there. And we know so much more now about the importance of that type of support for a test, uh, you know, any international player in any sport, whereas we didn't really know that 10 years ago. We thought it was a nice to have, and now it's an essential, and, and that that's where we're at. Yeah, I thought Grace Devlin actually handled it really well uh, uh, with Nicola. Um, we spoke a few weeks ago, and I think we were in broad agreement about that it was right that the 15s and the se- 7s, you know, are kept se- separate. But just looking in terms of how we, you know, this can be fixed or made better even in the short term for the rest of the Six Nations in terms of not getting that wooden spoon. Um, is there an argument there, there to bring some of the 7s players who are not in action again until next month back in just to help with the... Exper- inexperienced backs that are there. Is there any argument? I asked Greg McWilliams about this afterwards. You know, will there be an SOS going out to the sevens players? And he says he's not thinking that way at the moment. Is he right to continue not thinking about that, like that, about the sevens players? I think so. I think he's right because, you know, if you're looking to change up, you know, where are the lessons that you've learned against France? Are they going to, are they going to, because I certainly felt like there was going to be uh, moments that click better together for this team that are coming. And if you, you know, change things up, it could mean that you lose that. I, 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 th- I think it's the right thing to do because, yes, we know, like, we know where we're at. They know what they have available. If you bring in the sevens, are you going backwards a step again? Because they said that they... Well, I'm saying they said they wouldn't. You know, Anna, Anna McGann came in. I know she's played 15s before, but she has come across from the sevens program. So, yes, if you have injuries, maybe. But I, I yeah, I think it's, it's the end your brain injury as well, which which you know, which, yeah, you know, should be such a loss. You know, so you know as well that maybe that revitalised the argument a bit more. I don't know, but but you think maybe. he's right to stick with this? I with I think it. so, and it depends on the players themselves. Like I know, like just using Baven as an example you know Baven was initially 15s then going into 7s so she has a lot of 15s experience so maybe someone like her but I I actually I'm not sure they said they were happy with the group I think they just have to keep hammering away with it and like actually one thing I was that um, came into my mind there a second ago when we were talking about Dan O'Brien and you know the whole 10 the 10 the 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 lack of 10s that we've had or, or haven't had in the, in the last 
few years, like it's because any 10 that came in who I felt like, oh, this is going to be our next 10 was then brought into the sevens program. And then we had to find another 10. Another 10. It happened a few times. Like I thought Eve, Eve Higgins was going to be our next 10 and, and, and a few others. But flawed, yeah. Yes. But the thing is now that like, because there are contracts, because, you know, if you were offered a rugby contract, it was to play sevens and like, you'd be a fool not to take it, you know, like you'd go and play rugby as your job. Like that's the dream. That's what everyone wants. So whether it was sevens or fifteens, whatever, you know, they've all, anyone who's offered it has been, has, has taken it. So now there are fifteens contracts being offered as well. So this might actually stop that from happening. Um, and I, I hope that's how it, it works and we get to keep Dan O'Brien. Sorry, that's going kind of going back to the last uh, question, but it was just something that came into my mind that I wanted to, to touch on. But um, to bring in the sevens, I'm, I'm not sure, Ali, what do you think? Yeah, I think it would be demoralising. Um, I know you could make a, you could make a case in that specific example, Lenya, and a specific injury. But I think having been so definitive about it, which Neve Briggs was at the start of the tournament, I think it would just send the wrong message. I do have sympathy with the coaches as brilliant players sitting around, not sitting around, but, you know, they're not playing um, international rugby for a month. But I think it would be the wrong message. And also, unless you brought a whole load back, the rate at which, you know, the way in which we are playing and the teams we have to play, I don't know, maybe would one, would, would, would one player make such a big difference? Maybe Bavin, she is, she is a X-Factor world-class player. Maybe against Scotland, you think, you know, that that game might be close. But I think it would send the wrong message. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So there's a down week this week, obviously, and then it's Italy up next in Parma for Italy for Ireland on the 15th of April. <laughs> oh, Ali, like, you know, I mean, the fact that they had France and England in the opening two rounds and they got a right beating by England yesterday, 68-5. You know, the previous week they had France in their grasp, you know, that previous week in Parma, but a, a tough enough start for them. But they must feel like now after that two-week block is over, that this is kind of almost the start of a new tournament from them and that they can really start competing even more now, starting with Ireland first up. Yeah, and they did themselves credit against France. They were very good yeah. against France. I think, you know, like there are like a number of teams in the Six Nations, Italy will have probably written England off well before they that match kicked off. I know that's a very defeatist thing to say, but that's just the nature of it. And people say, oh, we learn a lot from those losses. I don't know if you do. What did Ireland learn from getting trashed last year at Leicester? Nothing. Um, you know, you just move on. So I, I think Italy will be hard to beat at home. They're a very good team. They they do like to play. They take risks. They they run it from everywhere. Um, they've got a lot of talent in their back line. And I think that's where the challenge will be for us because they're a bit more experienced than us through the middle, particularly, you know, Beach Dragoni is just an amazingly fun player to watch. Such a cool dude as well. I know that's a really, you know, I'm showing my age here saying that phrase, but you know what I mean? She sort of saunters around the pitch and, you know, we talked about languishing styles or she just she just looks like she's doing everything in slow motion, but it's really hard to defend against. So they're going to be tough to beat away, but that is a, that is a genuinely targetable match for us. So, um, you know, having the two weeks to prep and build up for it would be good, but they will certainly be hardened having played the two best teams already, yeah. And it just to you finally, before we go, so you are the Ireland head coach, put yourself in that seat. What do you do over the next few weeks to, you know, put Ireland in a position now to get their first win of the Women's Six Nations against Italy? I think Ali touched on it already that like they have to get their defence right. And if they can get their defence right, um, you know, coming into this last block of games and it's the first time they've done this, a block of two, a weekend off and now a block of three games in a row. So they're not going to have another weekend off. They have to focus on their defence in this down week. 
I think the the same thing actually applies to both defense and attack. Uh, communication and clarity in communication like there were moments as well where like even in an attack Ireland would arrive to a ruck and they'd have lovely momentum and then they'd kind of slow down and stop so um, being using your voice in attack and defence and then like that will feed into everything else like using um, using your, your voice to build energy and confidence in whatever area it is and then in defence uh, when you have a week, when you have a down week, you kind of need to save bodies, and they'll be again to use the phrase again, battle hardened from France. So I think that they they don't need to absolutely, like you know, take the heads off each other in in, in training over over the next two weeks. But they certainly need a session or two where they are like no doubt in what's going on in in defence. Ali. Yeah, agreed. Make yourself hard to beat, I think, first and foremost for me. And second, yeah, a little the communication is key, right? There was a there was a bit in the game where I think there was a lovely break, really good momentum, 20, 30 minutes in, Dan O'Brien then goes on her own. We lost the ball, France, France emerged. We should have scored there. So yeah, I just think yeah, that the chat, the communication, um and, and strong, strong rear guard. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me. Enjoy Madrid and uh, enjoy Egypt, Ali, <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy the weekend off uh, rugby as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Happy Easter. Thanks a million. My thanks again to Anna and Ali. So the down week in the Women's Six Nations this week, Will and Luke will be here on Wednesday to go through the weekend's Heineken Champions Cup games. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.